Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. All right. If you're new, we're people that are all about Jesus and we believe that the book tells us who Jesus is. So the book matters. If you need a copy of God's Word, volunteers are handing them out right now, so just throw up a hand. We're going to get you a copy of the Bible right now. If you do not own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you, so please take it home. If you've already got a Bible, digital or otherwise, you want to type it in or flip, we're going to be in John chapter 11 uh, for the second of four weeks, a series called The Walking Dead. Last week, um, well, by the way, related to last week, if you're a regular here, um, thank you guys so much for your prayers for me and my family. Some of you guys know my grandmother went to be with the Lord last week, and so I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, it really is a privilege when your family goes, oh, you're not flying back till Sunday, who's preaching? And without any sweat on one's brow to know you have other godly men who can and will with a full fear of God, love and respect for the Bible, will, uh, without fear, proclaim the good news of Jesus. So I just want to publicly thank Conrad for doing an incredible job last week, opening up this chapter. Um, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you know the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. What you might not have known is what we can teach you when you're in second grade. It might be a story for one week, but when we get a little bit older, we have some big kid questions, don't we? Anybody become an adult that was raised in church and you read the story of Noah's Ark and you go, wait a minute. I don't, I, I think my Sunday school left that part out. My Sunday school teacher didn't share that part. Um, the story of Lazarus has beautiful mul multitude of implications for every part of life. And so that's why we're taking four weeks to tell the story Part two, so we talked about the, uh, last week, amongst other things, the first part of the text, that Jesus is the walking dead, meaning, although nobody else around him knows it, he knows that his entire ministry in life is pointing toward a cross. He's going to die, he's going to lay down his life, no one takes it from him, and he's going to take it back up again, and he's going to ransom sinners through what he does. He is as good as dead. Why? because he always obeys the Father, and the Father has asked him to do this thing, and he has, with the Spirit, wholeheartedly joined together and said, we are going to ransom a people to ourselves to the glory of our name. Since eternity passed, Colossians 1 said, before the earth was created, God had a plan. Anybody with the, the chaos of 2020 need to be reminded that before the creation of the world, God had a plan? The cross was always God's plan A, that's horrifying to us. We're like, what? We've got so many things to wrap our minds and hearts around that God cannot possibly be glorified by anything more than a horrifying death for sinners who do not deserve that ransom. Today, we're going to talk about the followers of Jesus being the walking dead. They're in tremendous danger themselves. Next week, we're gonna talk about, of course, Lazarus. He's the walking dead. There he is. I thought he was dead. Wait a minute. That's the part of the story we know. And then the last week, I'm not going to tell you how sad it is or you won't come, but we're going to talk about the religious elite, the pastors and the deacons who were supposed to be helping Israel 
receive their Messiah, but they are the walking dead. They are spiritually dead and don't realize it. So there is all kinds of, in the, in the genre which uh, John is writing, which is basically historical narrative, but he's got his theological points that he's weaving through. Death and life are a big dichotomy that John is using in this chapter. Or another way of saying it is, before you read chapter 11, ask yourself, who is dead and who is alive? And are you ready for it? And when? Because a God who can resurrect, Lazarus might be dead at one part of the story, but who knows what happens tomorrow, right? Or, here's the good part, Jesus might be alive today, but he might be dead tomorrow. And then what's going to happen three days later? He could be alive again. Who knows? Because our God is that big. Or the prophetic voice where Jesus is having to let the pastors know that they think they're alive, but they're in fact dead. Right? That motif is all throughout this chapter, which is why we're devoting four weeks to it. Did everybody get sermon notes who wanted them? I, I apologize, it was a frantic last minute thing. Do you have sermon notes you want to fill in the blanks? Everybody have them? We're going to pass them out if you didn't get them. We're good? Okay. Let's read the text together. John 11. We're going to read, why am I in Second Chronicles? John 11. We're going to read 11 through 16. So to bring you up to speed, if you weren't with us last week or if you don't know the story, Jesus gets noticed that his good friend Lazarus is sick. He purposefully delays. I won't re-preach that. But by the time he shows up, Lazarus is not only dead, he's been dead for four days. That's pretty dead, okay? Because if you're mostly dead, you're partially alive. Verses 11 through 16 then Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his disciples, said to the, his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Optimism much? No? Okay. Holy Spirit, teach us the word of God today. Holy Spirit, give us soft hearts. We have shown you over and over again the way that we can be a stiff-necked people. Uh, you lamented over the city of God that it just wouldn't be right for a prophet to die anywhere else, God. And we have been throwing stones for a very long time, silencing your voice. And we ask your forgiveness and we ask for mercy today that we could joyfully receive your word the way our brother David joyfully received it, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And allow the new uh, spirit-born self to hunger and thirst for your voice because every word you speak is life to me and to us. We thank you in advance for the gift that you're about to give. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And ARCF said, amen. amen. Note takers, here's your first blank. You probably already guessed it. There's a sleep only Jesus can wake you from. Yeah, I know Mike's with me. 
The rest of you guys could be in a carb coma from your caramel macchiato, and Mike will be with me. There's a kind of sleep only Jesus can wake you from. Now this sounds, if you've been in church too long, you already think I'm wasting time. Greg, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. Of course, duh. That's the whole point of this text. However, comma, space, a Christian pulpit isn't just for Christians. Especially in the world of the internet, who knows who God has a sovereign appointment who's watching this today, let alone where you're at in your own heart and your own mind. The History Channel theory right now is that some people made up a religion and you and I are dupes 2,000 years later. And Paul, early church father, even agreed. Listen, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, we're all fools. We're to be pitied more than anybody. So we get that. In case you're wondering, you're sitting here right now, uh, big mama drug you to church, and so here you are. You're like, I will get her off my back. I'm going to go to church once. I need you to understand, Christians know the level of crazy that we claim is true. We do actually know. We are actually aware, believe it or not. And yet we're still here. I mean, how does the 49er stadium fill every game? Clearly they know they're doing something wrong, but they still keep showing up. So, all right. (laughs) Dallas fan. Anyway. So why would a group of people, if their brains are halfway working, resurrection of the dead? What? Bunch of animals in a boat? All of humanity coming from the same two people? Miracles? You know, bad things happening from the sky to crush Pharaoh and his army so Israel can be set free? What? Clearly you guys are more evolved than this, right? Clearly. You can't be that backward, right? And my assertion to this concern, because it's all over the Western world, my assertion is that Christianity offers an unbelievable ethic for what is good and what is evil, and it's an ethic that's missing when you watch the evening news. As long as I've been watching the news, I have heard a phrase over and over and over again on the evening news after there's a shooting. They say this phrase over and over again. Listen for it. Senseless act of violence. Senseless act of violence. Senseless. What? It doesn't make sense. Not logical. I don't have that problem as a Christian. I'm not waiting for sin to be logical. Sin is a blind hatred of God. It's a blind hatred of everyone who looks like him. That's an image bearer, by the way, a human. Racism, I know where it comes from, Genesis chapter 3. Chauvinism, I know where it comes from, Genesis chapter 3. We hate God, and we hate everyone who is just as beautiful as him because he put his fingerprints on us when he made us. I want to submit to you, there's something far more dangerous and scary than believing in miracles. It's having no idea what to do with them when they happen. How is the resurrection of Jesus Christ supposed to help you if you don't have a box for that? C.S. Lewis said it this way. Trying to convince a little child in a slum of London to come to a holiday at the sea is just a fool's errand because he can't understand what a holiday at the sea means when he's playing with mud pies in an alley. So we fearlessly preach things that are bigger than what the 21st century ethos allows us to believe. 
We're going to go on toward folly. We're going to go on toward things that people go, that's stupid, that's silly. This is who we are. This is who we are. And no, not any of it is so-called blind faith. Not a drop. Not by a long shot. Some of that's well beyond what we can cover today. But I'll have you know, pure logic here, this is not a biblical argument, pure logic. If a being out there, if he, she, it exists and is strong enough to make the physical universe come into existence, violating the first law of thermodynamics, ignoring the second law of thermodynamics, if he can make it, he for sure can enter into that world in the person of Jesus Christ and reveal himself to us. That's not hard, let alone the resurrection of the dead. He made you the first time. He can make you a second time. This is, this is small potatoes. We act like resurrection's a big deal because we start off with the assumption that God does not exist. If, with that assumption, then yes, resurrection's a big deal. If we assume God does exist, resurrection is simple. It's just bigger than you and it's bigger than me. All right? Okay, all the Christians are asleep. They're like, I already believed that. Point two. Lazarus' death. This is a long one, but, but this is why we've got blanks because this is, there are two reasons for what's happening here. Lazarus' death and resurrection happened to give Jesus the credit he rightly deserved, verse four. We already covered that last week. And here's this week's part. And to create faith in rebel hearts. To create faith in rebel hearts. When you ask yourself the question, why does God do something? An infinitely wise God can have more than one reason, right? Anybody here, you ever had more than one reason why you did something? Yeah! And you and I are small, finite beings. We're limited. We can't know it all, even though we act sometimes like we do. We have multiple motivations. Verse 4 said, this is going to happen so that God will be glorified, and specifically the Son. Jesus is talking about himself. The whole world is going to see a piece of who I am by raising Lazarus from the dead. He said that back in verse 4. And now in verse 15, let me reread it. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. <laughs> Do you see the confidence in that? Let's go see the dead guy. He's not talking, like, most cultures, your, uh, your image of a person, like when they're dead, you don't actually believe that's them anymore. Like that's the old shell, right? So, so where's this confidence in Jesus? We're going to go see Lazarus. But you, but what, huh? He died. We're going to go see. Because you're not talking with any rabbi. You're talking about the God man. And the God man wants to raise Lazarus. Here's the irony of all ironies. This is going to be the miracle that gets Jesus killed. You want to talk about the innocence and beauty and perfection of Jesus? Historically speaking, action item by action item by action item, it is this miracle of raising Lazarus that is the final straw. And you can even hear it in Thomas's voice. Let's go with Jesus. We're toast. They already know where the political fever, that is a fever pitch. The religious elite have already tried to kill Jesus more than once. We cannot get this close to Jerusalem again. They're trying to kill you, Lord. 
Lazarus' death and resurrection happened to give Jesus the credit that he rightly deserved, but it also happened to create faith in rebel hearts. If they'd have fully understood the magnitude of what Jesus said, I think the apostles would have been offended. They've been following Jesus for three and a half years, and he's still like, ah, you kind of believe. If you're a Christian today, do you have the humility to let Jesus say that to you? You've been following me for 45 years. You mostly believe. But what if today, and he is, by the way, what if today Jesus is pressing in on you and saying, you know, there are still a few areas of your heart where you don't trust me. If you trusted Jesus fully, by the way, you'd be in glory. So just breathe out, relax. There's always a part of the Christian heart that's holding out because we're still sinners. The Holy Spirit's working on us. Community of faith, the word of God. There's always some area like, Lord, I need to trust you more. Lord, I wish I trusted you more. I, don't, I wish that I, I, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I wish I trusted you more. You've been so good. You've been so faithful. You've never failed me yet. And where does this disbelief come from? Not from your behavior. <laughs> it's that old self. It's the flesh. It's the part that distrusts God, hates God, does not want his authority over me. The new self is at war with him until the Lord takes me home. If you're new to church, that's why you've seen Christians sin and sin a lot. The old self and the new self are still both there and at war. The Holy Spirit is going to win. He's going to win fully when he takes me home. And I am washed clean of the last drop of sin's implications in my heart and in my mind. It's going to be a good day. question for everybody, irrespective of what you believe. Question of introspection. Do you feel loved by this miracle? My daughter Abigail does. That's good, sweet girl, because if you feel loved by this miracle, you see what Jesus is up to. Guys, if Zeus had come down and done a bunch of tricks, if you've read about Zeus, it would have been like, he's kind of a reflection of man, really. He's, he's a narcissist to his core. If anybody else had come and operated in this kind of power, it would have been the look at me show. Look at me, look how awesome I am. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Aren't I cool? Throw a parade. And Jesus just said, not only am I going to raise Lazarus so that everyone can rightly see who I am, I am going to raise Lazarus because there are people around me that are still in spiritual darkness and I want to reconcile them to the Father. Wow. So you need faith, and I in my sovereign wisdom, because I'm God and I'm perfect, I know that for some people this miracle will create faith. Let's do the miracle. Do you feel loved by that miracle? Okay, now here's the harder question. Do you feel loved by that miracle if your name is Lazarus? Hmm? You're in the hospital, wires coming out of you, and the doctor said, I'm not sure there's much more we can do. 
and Jesus is one of your best friends and you believe he is Messiah. When you hear the reports of who he healed, you believe it readily. You've been friends with him for a few years. And your two sisters, Mary and Martha, they believe he's Messiah too. You love him as a deep friendship and he loves you back. And they send for Jesus to come to your hospital room. And a day passes and he doesn't come. And another day passes and goes and, and he, Jesus doesn't come. And you're getting worse and you're getting worse and you're getting worse. Are you guys hearing how bad TV preacher theology is right now in this situation? Just have more faith and it'll be fine. Or maybe there's a sovereign God who knows what he's doing. Jesus loves Lazarus more than Lazarus loves Lazarus. Some of you have been praying for years for something and God may very well say yes and you and I have got to find a way to trust him in his timing or the ways that he says yes or the ways that he says no, the ways that he says not now because Jesus who loves Lazarus is about to let Lazarus die. Do you think there's suffering when you're sick and you die? Do you think there's suffering there? Do you think that's fun? Does your set of beliefs about God have wiggle room? Do you have a box for suffering? Do you know what to do with suffering? Or does the Jesus you believed in just all of a sudden not make sense and you walk away? It makes no sense to believe in a Jesus who protects me from suffering when that same God went to a horrifying cross to save his church. That makes no sense. If Jesus had lived in a palatial estate, famous, everybody buys his book, you know, everyone follows him on Twitter, if that was the kind of life Jesus lived and he says, come on, join me, everything's gonna be fine, then there's no hypocrisy and it makes sense. But he shouldered a cross and said, follow me. That's what actually happened. The end of you is gonna be the greatest possible joy and blessing for you. Me living in you, that's gonna be way better, trust me. Are you okay if Jesus is about to make himself famous through your suffering? Because this has been happening for thousands of years. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? And one possible objection at this point inside our hearts or mind, yeah, 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 but, but, Jesus, but Jesus raised Lazarus in the end, so it still ended up okay, right? And we could, by seeing that Lazarus was raised from death, we could go, oh, Jesus is going to deliver on certain promises or my ideas of those promises, and he's gonna do it all in this temporal world. Let me ask you a really important question. How many people died while Jesus was on earth that he did not raise? How many people in Israel were sick that he did not heal? Or the coup de grace, let's just settle this once and for all. Every Christian gets raised on the last day. 
We don't get to say, put a time period on it like Lazarus. I'm gonna suffer, but four days later, Jesus will fix it. It'll happen soon. It'll happen in this life. It'll happen in this world. We don't get to say that. And of course, all of our little objections to God's sovereignty are always back to trust over and over and over again. God, I'm not so sure about you running the cosmos. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a very silly book, don't go read it, starts off with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And since this, then, this has been a hotly debated topic and generally regarded as a bad idea. Okay, It's satire, but it's true. He made the heavens and the earth, but we've been criticizing ever since. I'm not so sure that was a good idea. Third, followers of Jesus are the walking dead. Note takers, followers of Jesus are the walking dead. Look with me at verse 16 again. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. This verse doesn't get talked about a whole lot in Sunday school, does it? Now, let's take a deep breath. We're all grown-ups in here. Thomas, who gets a bad rap for a, for a different story that happens in the Gospels. What is this, guys? Do, well, let me ask this. Does Thomas get up and walk away and ab abandon Jesus at this point? I have one vote for no from Denny. Huh? Not yet. Well, of course, everybody abandons him on the night that he's betrayed, but, but they, 11, 11 of the 12 come back. Do, do they physically up and leave? The way a bunch of people left in John chapter six, the crowds just, does Thomas actually walk away from Jesus at this point? He actually does follow Jesus into the belly of the beast. He does, doesn't he? So these aren't words of rebellion then. There's something else. What could these words be if they're not rebellion? Maybe this is just a practical recognition of how much danger they're in. He's not saying, we're, we're going to be toast if we go to Jerusalem quick, abandon Jesus now. He still gets up and follows his rabbi into imminent danger. So this is not a rebellious spirit. You, there's no way you can argue that. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him either. Oh, that means he said something true. If you love Jesus, you need to understand you are the walking dead. You are. We do not feel this by being in a country where we have the privilege of religious freedom. A woman cut my hair yesterday who had to flee Iran because her uncle was imprisoned for teaching a faith other than Islam. And they fled. We have unbelievable privilege. And I don't mean to paint that like the US is the only country with freedom of religion. A number of countries do, but some countries don't. This following Jesus, him being the center of the world, 
is inherently physically dangerous, politically dangerous, religiously dangerous, socially dangerous, economically dangerous in certain parts of the world, and you and I as Americans do not feel most of those dangers. And so we are lulled into the sleepiness of a peacetime mentality and forget that we are at war. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter two real quick. I apologize, I didn't look up the page number, but if you know where Galatians is, go ahead and move to your right a little bit. I'm gonna read it out loud if you're not able to turn there. Galatians chapter two. I'd like for you to see where this is. Such a precious book. Written by Paul, an early church father, to a church in Turkey. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Let me break that one down if you're new to church. The law is referring to the first five books of the Bible. If humanity could keep all of God's ethics, there was no need for Jesus to die in the place of rebellious humanity. If humans can be good enough on their own, great, let them do it. God looked at humanity and said, there's no way. Not after the rebellion that they chose in Genesis chapter three. There's no way they're going to need a savior. They're going to need a Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I promise Paul went on more mission trips than you. I promise he memorized more Bible verses than you. I promise he did more good deeds than you. And he can't even live for and through and in himself. He can't. See, a follower of Jesus, we are the walking dead. The old Greg is crucified with Jesus and he's not getting off of that cross. The new Greg, who's that? Paul just said, it's Christ in me. Jesus is living in me and through me and when I do something that's right and it's holy and it's God honoring, I can't pull a muscle patting myself on the back like I did something great. No, Jesus did that. I might have finally surrendered to the Holy Spirit's influence in that moment instead of the old self, but Jesus did it in me. If you think you're awesome, please go back to Philippians 1. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases God. If you even wanted to please God, the Holy Spirit did that. (laughs) Oh man, I was really getting excited about my new religion where I was going to get to feel good about myself. Not Christianity. (laughs) Nope. If you want to do the right thing, the Holy Spirit did that. Let alone the power to do the right thing. So, brothers and sisters, what is the right place in the Christian life for arrogance? Where's the right, where's where's self-righteousness fit in? 
Where does looking down at other people fit in? Where's the right spot for that? Nailed to the cross. That's where that belongs. Nailed to Christ's cross. All of my self-reliance, my looking down on others as if I'm better than them somehow, is all nailed to the cross of Christ. I am the walking dead. I am a spiritual zombie. And it has to manifest itself in ways that glorify God to other people. Here's what I mean. It's not my life anyway, so I can be generous to the poor. It's not my life. It's not my life anyway, so I'll love my spouse like Jesus does. It's not my life anyway, so I'll treat my coworker with the patience and grace that Jesus would. It's not about me. It's not my life anyway, so foregoing a vacation to share the gospel in a foreign country for a couple weeks, that's fine by me. That's abnormal to the world, yes? Peculiar behavior, one of the definitions of holy, odd, peculiar, set apart, different. That's, that's different. It's not bad. It's, it's different. It's not my life anyway. So joyfully receiving Christ's sexual ethics is no problem. It's not my life anyway. So I'll vote as if Jesus voted, and I'll be gracious with everybody else's decision. It's not my life anyway. So foregoing some TV to study my creator seems like a wise choice. It's not my life anyway. So proactively finding needs in my disciple group or Sunday school class and meeting those needs, that's exactly what Jesus would do. It's not my life anyway. So praying fervently is a necessity. How are you going to let Christ live in you if you're not hearing from your father constantly? God, you got to help me today. I want Jesus to be in the driver's seat, not me. Prayer's a necessity. It's not my life anyway. So forgiving the person who hurt me is both God-honoring and healthy to my soul. It's not my life anyway. So fasting to set my heart and mind on what's most important, that's a great idea. It's not my stomach. It's not my mouth. It's not my tongue. It's not my life anyway. So I'll mow the neighbor's lawn since I'm already out here mowing. It's not my life anyway, so I'll only say things on Facebook that Jesus would say. And that's the one that get pastor's tires slit in the parking lot right there. That was it. But we know that's true, right? We know that's true. Would Jesus type this into a social media post? Would Jesus say this with his physical lips? Because it's Christ who's living in me. I am dead. You don't have to watch a zombie movie to know that if dead people do something, it's bad and it's scary. They want to eat my brains? That doesn't sound like a neighborly thing to do. The dead people, we don't want them doing anything. Okay? So if you know, those of you who are Christians, if you know that your old self is dead, and you and I can join each other in declaring to ourselves, to our father, to our siblings in in the Lord over and over again, man, I don't want him in control. Boy, I don't want her in control. The old self, 
She's dead. I'm not letting her act like she's alive. We're not doing this anymore. She is crucified with Christ, and she no longer lives. Jesus Christ now lives in her. This is who we are. And this is the best news ever. Because me, trying to be good enough for God, bad idea, not gonna work. And in fact, in case you're new to the Bible, more than two thirds of this book, you get to see a front row seat to humanity trying to be moral on their own. All the while, God working in the background, oh, that's not gonna work. Oh, that's, that's not gonna work either. And you see him dropping breadcrumbs for over a thousand years. I'm gonna save you. 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 You can't save you. You're dead. Band, would you come up and help us respond to God? We're gonna take some time during this song if you want to uh, sing to Jesus, do it. If you wanna write in the margins of your Bible something the Holy Spirit said to you today, do it. If you're kicking the tires of the Christian faith, I hope that what you hear out of this text and out of Galatians 2 as well, I hope you hear clearly what the call to follow Jesus is. It's not self-righteousness. It's not looking down at others. It's not showing up at the gay pride parade with an angry sign. That's not Christianity. Jesus took truth, in case you need an image of how grace and truth work. Jesus took grace and he held on to it tightly. And he took truth, grace and truth, and he held on to both of them. And when it cost him his life, he would not let go of either of them. So it's Jesus as the sinless one. He alone can say, woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus does not join the Sadducees that say, we love you and accept you no matter what, and God would never tell you that your behavior was wrong. That's the Sadducees. They're crazy. You know who else is crazy? The Pharisees. Wag my finger at you, angry brow, you always do the wrong thing. No grace, no mercy, no patience. Neither of those groups show you who Jesus is. Let's take our time to take what the Holy Spirit said to us, write it down on the margin, share it with a friend next to you, text it to your disciple group or Sunday school class and say, this is what God's working on me and in me. Here's how I am going to be the walking dead this week in a way that blesses Citrus Heights and the world.
do yourself a favor and do not walk out of this room failing to interact with the living God. A couple of things to remind you guys of or to tell you for the first time if you're a guest. Um, we have on Tuesday night here in room one in the Pringle building, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's class that helps with personal finance in an unbelievable way. Um, Emily and I first took the class many moons ago and it really transformed and helped us operate with some unity, pursuing God's goals for us, not just the American dream. So I wanna encourage you to quickly hop on uh, I think it's fbu.org, I forget. Just Google it. Google Dave Ramsey, it'll come up where you can register. Um, the class already started last week, but it's not too late. This is, after this, too late. So sign up and be there Tuesday, or else you're gonna be too far behind, okay? Secondly, um, I sent out some fake news yesterday that I need to apologize for. Tonight's annual celebration's not at 5.30, like I said. It's at six. Even as I sent it, I thought it was weird. 5.30, shouldn't there be dinner? But we're telling people to eat before they come. This is weird. So it's at six. We've got a question from Mr. Wayne. Are you going to have any cake? <laughs> you know, we're not so sure about that. We were going to form a committee. <laughs> I, I did hear rumors um, that there might be sugary goodness involved. I did hear rumors. Uh, if you're new... Pastor Greg has a conviction from his own childhood that nobody likes business meetings, even if they're just once a year. So you make sure to add in fun elements like a year in review so we go down memory lane together and declare the goodness of God. Look at all the ways he was faithful even in 2020. And we hang out together and we have a really cool historical piece from Renault where he's gonna share some of the history of the church. And then you serve cake and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully everyone forgets that it's the annual business meeting. So don't tell anybody that tonight at six, right here in this room, we have our annual business meeting. Do not tell them that, or they will not come. So there's that. Yeah, live stream. Those of you guys who are at home in particular, if you're not able to be here tonight, please make sure, please, 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 whether you wanna watch on YouTube or Facebook, you've got to click subscribe, or you're not gonna see the live stream tonight, because it's set up in a private manner for, for those that call ARCF their church home. It's not gonna be a public video. Have to, have to, have to click the subscribe button so that you're able to see that. That sound good? Make sense? Cool, free childcare on site. Um, so don't let that be a barrier. We'd love to see you here tonight. Um, last thing. For able-bodied individuals with a heart of service, as we are working on finishing off, or I shouldn't even say finishing, we're in the middle of it, transitioning the music room into our new office, there are some items, now that the painting is done, there are some items that are in room three in the Pringle building that need to come over to this new office. And I told Sherry, if you're willing to scoot over there to be there first, Sherry, Sherry, raise your hand in case people don't know you, our children's director. Does everybody love Sherry? Woohoo! Sherry will direct, tra direct traffic right here after I dismiss. If you'd go over to room three and be helpful, we'll be done in five minutes. If you'll just grab whatever Sherry says, I don't even know what they are. Whatever she says, hey, move that. We're just, it's a surprise. And you're gonna pick up stuff and you're gonna bring it here into the music room. There's a door right here in this hallway and we're gonna be done in three or four minutes. Okay, Neil, talk to me. 
Conrad and I were going to take one for the team and do that later. But yes, after Sherry's needs are met, if you guys want to help roll out some tables, that would be great to get ready for tonight. That would be totally great. All right? Go love and serve your world because Christ is living in you. Be blessed.